Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today. Again, as we do our sermon review that we try to do each week and we release on Wednesdays, I'm glad you're listening as we try to dive into our passage that we focused on this week. Uh, Pastor Scott led us this week and with preaching and was thankful for him doing that. Uh, the plan was to end our worship series with this message uh, a ways back, but just because of timing, it didn't happen that way. And then World Mission Sunday uh, was the Sunday before uh, Pastor Scott. That's why he was this week. But looking at connecting worship and missions, and the way he did that was with Psalm 96, focused mostly on Psalm 96 there. Uh, and so we'll let Pastor Scott take over and, and lead us today. So, Scott, what you got for us? Uh, yeah, so like you said, it was the way that we wanted to end the series that we were doing on, on worship. Um, and the reason, as I was trying to prepare this sermon, I was, I was trying to think through, like, what is, what is the real reason, like, that this sermon needs to be said in a series on worship? And I think we rightly brought our church through a pro- we wanted to bring them to a proper understanding of worship. Like, that's a really important thing to understand. Uh, what are we doing on Sunday morning? Uh, what is worship? Who can worship? All those questions that we went through. A church needs to understand those things. And even if a church doesn't properly understand those things, I don't think you really can lead them successfully into missions, right? Um, evidenced by the sermon that I preached, I think. But but as uh, thinking through it... Um, I think an unintended consequence, I don't think that happened here in any of our messages, so that's not what I'm saying, but if a church becomes so focused on itself and on getting what it's doing right for its own worship, it it is possible that we could stop thinking about what we are called to do in terms of go, and you know, we're not just... Hey, let's make sure that every little thing we're doing inside of our building is just right. And that's all that we're really called to do. That scripture is very clear. That's not true. Um, but there's an intersect somewhere, right? And it's not to say you shouldn't focus on worship. It's not to say you should only focus on missions. There's an intersect somewhere, a healthy intersection. And I wanted to try to find that healthy intersection of how do these two things relate to one another? And that's what I said at the beginning of my sermon is that I wanted to try to create a connection in their minds, in our church's mind, between our church's worship and our calling to be on mission and, and to go to the world with the gospel. And uh, through preparation, so came across Psalm 96, and I, I think Psalm 96 was the most helpful with that. And uh, in its context, Psalm 96 is, is almost identical. It's it's part of, it's like <clears throat> a little over half or around half of a song that David led Israel in uh, whenever the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem for the first time. It was the first time it had ever been brought into Jerusalem there. And it was a huge celebration. Um, there was dancing and singing and, and joy. And it kind of culminates in this song of worship. Um you know, you think we just got done with Christmas and you think of like all this stuff that's happening in the, the birth of Christ. And you kind of have, have Mary's song that she sings as like a culmination of all these things. And it's similar to that. Um, but it it's just a portion of that. But almost every commentator thinks that either, either this was what was written first and then Chronicles... Uh, what was in Chronicles was added to, or just this section of that song from Chronicles was just recorded independently here as one of as one of the Psalms. Um, one of the things I didn't get into uh, in the sermon, mainly just because of time, was that if you read through this psalm, there's a very clear pattern uh, that emerges. It, the psalm goes through three stages, and then it repeats itself. Um, and so in verses 1 and 2, there's a command to sing. And then in verses 2 and 3, there's a command to tell. And then verses 4 through 6 tells why. What's the reason for this? But then the whole psalm in terms of the structure repeats. And verses 7 through 9 is a command to worship. Verse 10 is a command to tell. And then again, verse 11 through 13 is telling you why. What's the purpose behind this? And so I didn't really point out that repetition. I more so just kind of walk through the psalm um, itself. But the command to sing in verses 1 and 2 uh, is, is repeated three times. It's emphasized there that that, that is the proper response uh, to 
seeing who God is and what he has done um, and and the God that he is. Um, but the three things that we see about the command to sing there that I try to point out in the sermon is that we're told what the object of our praise is, we're told what it is we are to sing, and also who it is that should be singing. And that really set a lot of the tone uh, for the rest of the sermon because the object of our praise is the Lord. He's the only object of our praise. He's the one we're singing to uh, in that sense, and we're to bless his name. What was that? What was what? Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. I heard it. Some kind of like, it sounded like Star Wars. I thought it was your phone. I don't think so. I don't watch Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Like a lightsaber sound. Kind of <laughs> it sounded like something. I uh, know. I wasn't on my phone. Yeah. So Thank you, Spencer. Yeah, I was on my phone. <laughs> yes. Tim was. Tim's getting bored. That's okay. Yeah. No, I wasn't bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but then uh, it gets, it gave, it went from, uh, the object of our praise, but then to what it is we're to sing. And uh, the very first verse of this psalm says that we're to sing a new song. And uh, what I tried bringing out from that, commentators um, didn't didn't say that it, it wasn't the idea of uh, of singing new songs. Like there's nothing like they would say like that is what this means, singing a new song. But the heart behind it is more so, and I tried drawing this out, is, is the heart of that uh, the the worship of God should be fresh and new every day. It doesn't get boring. It doesn't get old to you. Um, you know, the, the song Amazing Grace, you can sing Amazing Grace a million times, and it, it starts feeling less and less amazing maybe every time you sing it. That's a struggle uh, I think that we sometimes have. I don't know. Do you guys think that that's, mm-hmm. that that's the case for people that we tend to, I don't know, become bored with our worship, does I think, that make sense? I think that that can be one thing. Another thing I've noticed is that hymns that, like, uh, well, just recently, a hymn that I grew up hearing as a child, um, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Do you, I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. ever heard about that yeah. song. Mm-hmm. I've been singing that to my children again at night. And, like, I always heard that song growing up. Mm. But it's like as you get older, though, you some of the lyrics, it. yeah, you're like, I, so it's, it's yeah, it's the same lyrics, um, but it's also the same lyrics that become deeper. Mm-hmm. They, they, you actually grow in maturity. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's like something that uh, as it ages, it gets better mm-hmm. and deeper and richer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in a sense also what the new song is. It's like you're, you're, you're. As you live your Christian life with all of its experiences, then you're you're you you realize, oh yeah, I knew I was saved by grace before, but wow, I really am saved by grace. And then you, uh, you know, and, and then a couple of years down the road, you're really gonna say, oh yeah, it really was grace, and it still is really grace that saves me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of also that's the Christian life, and we grow in deeper uh, maturity and appreciation of the old, old story mm-hmm. uh, uh, for our whole Christian lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you, you made the parallel to like Lamentations 3. You know, like, new are his mercies every morning. It's not like, you know, it's like, it's not like, oh, you know, his mercy's different today than it was yesterday, but it's new. It's in the sense it's a new day and there's new, it's a new opportunity to experience God's mercy. It's like manna, you know, every day it was mm. new. You know, the manna was gone from yesterday it's it's now we have oh, we're, we're in need for new manna and so i thought that was really good how you, you you pulled that out from that from the new song idea it was good i think one of the struggles though that i have with this is the idea like like the manna thing they started complaining about the manna yeah hey. mm-hmm. and i think about god and how god is immutable god doesn't change <clears throat> and i've i've said a quote before on the podcast and in sermons and stuff about how every year God makes the daisy again. Every day the sun comes up again and it's new and it's fresh. But for us, it seems like when, uh, if we were the ones having to make the daisy every day, eventually we're like, I'm sick of these daisies. Mm. I need something new. And so it's like this idea of newness is special uh, but we don't see that with God. There's not. There's not this. Was that that Chesterton quote yeah. that you gave? Right. Was that from G.K. Chesterton? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's what. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, I think it's in uh, Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines mm. book or mm-hmm. something. I don't remember now. 
Maybe not. Maybe not that book. Maybe one of the attributes yeah. of God's books or okay. something that okay. I was reading at the time. But uh, I just think there is a danger to think that new is fresh and life-giving with that definition of new. So like, because um, like you said, you said singing Amazing Grace a thousand times can get stale, but at the end of saying that, you said, well, that could be a problem with us. And that is a problem with mm-hmm. us. It could be. That'd be like, I, I just fear that because then it's almost like, I need a new Bible. This stuff mm-hmm. is... Uh, the problem isn't with the stale. truth or the Bible, it's with me. It's with me, yeah. Right. That's what I'm I need and, to become new. And so sure. it's the same with yeah. a good song, right? The, the song is not stale. The words are... And that's that's where I think we have to be careful with how we do music of making it about style, about melody, about rhythms, which is part of music. I know that. But it, to make it about that when it comes to worshiping and praising God, because I don't think that's what pleases God is how awesome the melody is or, or the style. I think what pleases God is how honoring it is to his word. And, uh, and so I just, I just want to be careful to define that well. Um, because I mean, I, it goes all the way to the billboards I see. It's like, this is not your mother's church. We're, we're a new breed of church. And it's like, yeah, because your mother's church stinks is basically what that's saying. Mm-hmm. They still sing those old songs that are stale. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, mom's church is still faithful, still preaching the gospel, right? Yeah. The songs they're singing are still great songs. Um, and so I just, there's a line I think that needs to be carefully sure, yeah. uh, looked at and not crossed. No, you're right. And I think that's one of the graces that God gives us is that, you're, you know, when I said that, that something could be wrong with us. Like if, if we sing that song, but I also think if you go to a church that sings the same five songs every Sunday, I don't think that's necessarily going to be helpful to those no, people. No, because they're not singing the whole counsel yeah. of God. Then. And at some right. point, mm-hmm. every song that we would reference in a hymnal or anything like that, at some point, every song was new. Somebody saw a need to write that song. And so uh, it, it, whoever wrote that was was uh, either inspired by something like we know that we know like the inspiration of amazing grace and where it came from. Um, but at some point, every, every person that ever wrote a hymn or a song felt a need to write that, uh, to regurgitate a truth that had probably already been communicated in some way, uh, if not through a Psalm of scripture itself. And so like, even as we're talking about like the old songs, like I've referenced amazing grace or whatever it would be, uh, that might seem stale to us. Uh, and so like we would like, you know, I think we sang a couple new songs yesterday uh, during church <clears throat> um, worship together. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm explaining what I'm trying to think of right now, but the songs that we would become that we would reference today as like the old songs. Those used to be the new songs. Those would be the new upcoming songs. Everybody was excited to sing. And like, my sermon really wasn't even about the songs and the singing. This is just the right, per- yeah. first part, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, but th- the idea was, I think one that's one of the graces that God gives us is we are people and we do change. We're not going to be perfect. We aren't like Him, um, and I think that He gives us grace to be able to create new songs in that sense. Um, if what is giving us, I think what you're pointing out, Tim, is that. If what is giving us, if what we think is actually leading to proper worship of God is the newness of the song, the catchiness of the song, um, the the tune or the melody, then obviously our worship has gone away from God and it's starting to go towards the song itself. I think I, uh, I think the emphasis of this passage, just like elsewhere, well, even like Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth. The emphasis isn't so much that the song is new, it's that the singer has been renewed. Mm. And that's the focus. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that and that that to me is where it's at because they're they're singing even this song. They're saying sing a new song, and then Psalm ninety six. You're, you're looking at it and you're like, I could put this together from a bunch of other songs. This doesn't seem like a new song. This doesn't seem like a new song that they're. But I think what what's being highlighted there is. Uh, the whole earth is being invited into this renewal, yeah. this experience again of the old, old story from mm-hmm. Genesis 3.15 onwards yeah. of God's redemption. Yeah. Um, so, and that to me seems to be the the uh, 
the focus of, of singing a new song. We even see this in Revelation, right? Revelation chapter five. They sing a new song, mm. worthy are you mm. to take the scroll. Um, so those in heaven. Yeah, um, but that's, but in the new song is coming from what you said before, Spencer, of a new experience. And that's what Israel is experiencing here. For the yeah. first time, the ark is going in the temple. So what is the new song about? It's about God's faithfulness of bringing the ark into Jerusalem. Mm. And uh, I think that would be kind of the same for us and our families. We could tell our families, right? You could tell your children, we have a new song to sing to the Lord. And you say, well, why? Because we had another baby, mm. right? And the baby's healthy. And we have a new song now to praise him about. Uh, but we have a new song to sing to the Lord. Well, what is it? Well, God brought us, you know, and moved us to this new location, mm. this new opportunity. Mm. Let's sing to him a new song, right? Mm-hmm. Or these things yeah. that happen in life. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we, I, and I think that's yeah. kind of what Israel does a lot mm-hmm. is they remember, right? They mm-hmm. they had to share their traditions. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much a new song in worshiping God corporately as a as a church necessarily, even though we could say that as a missionary Baptist church. Like, we have a new song to sing. Why? Well, mm-hmm. God has done this for us. Mm-hmm. And we see this, right? And let's praise him or, or our brother and sister who is sick with cancer. No more cancer. Mm-hmm. We have a new song to sing to the Lord of his faithfulness again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I feel like that's more what I think I see mm-hmm. here in this passage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even Miriam, she sang this new song when, you know, as, as they crossed the Red Sea and God delivered Israel from the mm-hmm. Egyptian hand. And she gets the tambourine out and she's, she's singing. Sure. You know? Did they wing these songs? Like Moses' song, David's song, Mary's song. Did they just bust this out? I think it was scripture kind of woven together that it was put into song. It's amazing. I, yeah, because they were very poetic. Like, did David do this ahead of time? Like, okay, oh, we got a big thing one? coming. I want to write it. I want to write this a song one. down. Or, or the one in, uh, the one this mirrors. Uh, it seems like they just, like mm-hmm. Moses, all of a sudden, I got a song. Bam! <laughs> he sings the song. And it's like, wow, it's probably amazing. Different, you they're probably that. different occasions. <laughs> yeah. uh, this was definitely, this This could have been written, you know, I mean, it seems like it was sung by the, Levit- the Levitical choir. Yeah, the Levite. Because uh, yeah, they were put together. Because yeah. it says. Because that's when they were put together. Right, yeah. right. And so yeah. you're, you're singing it. The Levites would sing it, which is very interesting. This is a, just another side note. Old Testament worship was different because the Levites were the ones that played the instruments and sang. And it says at the very end, and the people said, amen. So there was actually this distinction between mm-hmm. priestly musical role and the people saying, mm-hmm. amen, that is true. Mm-hmm. So there was actually, and that highlights again an aspect of singing, which is it's to teach. And the Levites were yeah. teaching the people of God as they sang at the temple. Um, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. So, Yeah, the, the third thing we see about the singing is that who it is should sing is all the earth. Mm. Everyone should sing, not just uh, not just Jerusalem, not just Israel. This is God is worthy of the praise of all uh, on the whole earth. And I pointed out that was going to be the theme that you see kind of through this entire psalm. And, and part of the why it's such a clear connection to the idea of missions and the idea of this isn't just about us and, and our praise to the one true God, but the whole earth is called to praise God. Um, you made a connection that I remember was a big deal for me a while back of of that, of like we share the gospel with people because God deserves their praise. And thinking about that, you know, missions had always been told to me or evangelism had always been told to me of how much you love that person. You don't want to see them go to hell, right? You want this right for them. And I, sadly, that's not a good enough motivation for us oftentimes because we look at that person and we're like actually I, I don't care about them i don't know them you know uh but as a christian it's harder for us to to say i don't care if god gets praise it's like well wait a second he deserves all praise and so i i like that point of of missions because i know for me it sparks more of a fire inside of like yeah he does he does if this is who he is all people should be praising his name someday that will happen whether they want it to or not, but mm-hmm. I'd like to see more people worshiping him. And you, you brought that out here. I thought yeah. pretty good. Yeah, and and I later on in the message and toward at the end, talking about the coming judge. Right. Yeah. You see different motivations in Scripture for why you should proclaim the message. I mean, Paul in Romans says that he feels anguish for his brothers. You know, and he wants them like, he, you know, so he feels sorry for them. Right. You yeah. know, he feels bad for them. And Paul, when he's speaking to the Athenians, he tells them of the coming judge as a warning. You will be judged, you know, by Christ when he comes for this. But this psalm 
the coming judge is a positive thing. It's a good thing. Uh, we want that to happen, right? It brings joy and gladness and, and rejoicing throughout the whole earth. But yeah, the, the, the main thrust and what you don't normally think about is exactly what you said, which is that God is the one who deserves worship. And so a, a Christian who's kind of a, I brought this out um, at some point in my sermon was, you know, I'm not that worried about a Christian that has, you know, a, I'm not worried about their understanding of missions and evangelism um, when it comes to like somebody who's apathetic about doing missions or evangelism, about telling another person or going on a trip or whatever it would be a person who's apathetic i don't think that person really has a deficient view of missions or evangelism or even of the church i think they probably are more likely have a deficient view of god and of how worthy god is of them to do that and of their own praise i wonder if i would begin to wonder like well are, are you do you really see god for who he is in your own life um that just seems like a big disconnect especially when you come to a psalm like this um, because that's the logical conclusion. That's what he. That's what he brings you to. That's what the command is. So the command to tell in verses two and three. It uh, says to tell of his salvation from my, my eyes aren't working right there. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. And I just tried pointing out that really in saying those things it's it's kind of like the the hebrew poetry of just kind of repeating mm-hmm. the same thing in different ways and and uh, that the the salvation of god his marvelous works and his glory are all really a way of saying the same thing kind of um and brought out in hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that jesus is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and so just um trying to point out to people that like what how are how are we, we hear the, the talk a lot about like glorifying God. We want to glorify God. Well, I mean, according to this Psalm, the, the main way you can glorify God is by spreading the message of his salvation through Jesus Christ to the whole world. Um, that's how we're pointed to do that here. But we have to do that. We have to tell if the, if the whole earth is to sing to the Lord and to praise the Lord, if they are to sing that new song, like what we were talking about, they, they've got to know that news. They've got to hear it. And so we're, we're commanded to tell. But then verses 4 through 6 gives us the why, um, the big why. And I, I spent a lot of time on, on this part. And he just, he goes uh, starting in verse 4, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Um, for the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And this is where I... This is where I came uh, in my preparation of Acts 17 that I was originally going to preach on. Came to Psalm 96 and saw the parallels and decided to just go to, with Psalm 96. Um, but this is exactly the kind of logic that Paul uses when he's speaking with the Athenians. Um, he, he points out to them, your idols are your, the work of your own imagination and your own hands. They're worthless. You know, I could have gone to several different places in Scripture um, to talk about the worthlessness of idols, how, you know, those who make them become like them. We've talked about that before. And, but the, the comparison that he makes between a worthless idol and the one true God is that our Lord, our God made the heavens, right? He's the maker of all things. Um, Paul, in his d- discussion with the Athenians, goes through about how God created everything. He even created them, right, and who they are. And the idea that God is our creator, um, not just of the heavens, we tend to think about like, you know, all the beauty. We, we did reference that. We talked about that, the beauty of God's creation. But also, like God created you. If he created you, that means he has rights over you. It means he deserves your worship, right? And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of the, the purpose, the reason that God is worthy of your worship. It even uh, says in verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, right? And so just this picture of the one true God who is doesn't just deserve it by, by rank, but just how wonderful uh, he is as you would think about him. And so I don't know what you guys think about that, about the why you would worship the Lord. Why would we call people to worship him? I think that's the hardest thing to preach is like to try to 
I feel like when you're preaching, you're kind of trying to paint a picture, and you can't paint a picture with your words on the beauty and glory of God well. It just falls short every time, you know, and you want to, you want people to see this and, and to think about it and dwell on it and realize that, you know, when, when he comes to judge, uh, we'll get to be with him in his, in that glory and in this majesty and in this beauty forever. And that should elicit, uh, excitement in the hearts of people, but it's, I feel like I, I I always fail in talking about that because, you know, it's like if I did this well, I think everybody would like stand up and something. I don't know. I, I don't really know what I'm looking for, honestly. Yeah. I felt very inadequate preaching the sermon yeah. because of that. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't know. Right. Because probably, I mean, at least this happens to me a lot. When you're studying it and you're really getting in it, it's like God is very kind to you and gives you a little taste of it. And you get excited about it, and you're starting to kind of well up inside of like, oh, I got to get this out mm. through the English language to everybody because I want them to sense what what I'm sensing here. And it just always feels like I, I can't do that good enough. You know, mm. uh, I can't get them to contemplate enough how good God is and what he has done. Or even in statements like you said earlier, he created you, so he owns you. Like, do you realize that? And it's there's just so much pushback from that, but trying to get people to see that. But, but yeah, but this God who owns you loves you. Like, it's not a ownage that's bad. Yeah. You know, he loves you, and he would send his son for you in this. And, like, you want people to see this beauty. And I, I maybe I just don't have the language mastered enough to do it well. But, yeah, um, yeah like you said, you just feel inadequate. Well, when it comes to, like, you know, connecting it to missions, it's easy to motivate people to mission by guilting them into something. Yeah, you know? or, or or like a new adventure. You could do yeah. it that way. Like, we yeah. had a new adventure. Yeah, making it seem awesome or yeah. fun, or you can guilt them into it by talking about all these people who are going to hell, and it's yeah. because you don't care about them enough. <laughs> right. Right, and you can do that. But what this psalm does and what it shows is that, no, the, the motivation to mission is the greatness and the glory of God and his worth for not just your worship, but everyone's worship. And I, you know, as you sit there and you read that and you think that to yourself, it's like, I am not capable of showing that to everyone. God is the only one who can show people his own glory, right? He's the only one that can work in their heart to, to in that sense, make himself seem that attractive and that lovely to people, right? Because what blinds people to that is their own sin in their hearts. Sometimes it's Satan working against the Lord and, and doing that, and they're, and they're blinding the minds of the unbelievers in that. But, yeah, he's got to open their eyes, yeah. right, to that sense. When I, you know, it, it was really um, kind of changed my thinking in, impact, in a very impactful way when I read John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Because that's really his premise, is that missions exist, you know, as you said, you know, in your sermon, because... Of, of the glory of God, you know, and, and Piper really, really helped kind of, you know, cause I think part of it was, you know, we get training, whether it's like Ray Comfort stuff or whatever, and those are good stuff, but you know, the whole, like, like you said, this motivation, we have to convince people and persuade people to follow Christ, to trust in Christ as Lord and savior, because they're going to go to hell. And, and even what you said, I thought was really good. It's like, well, yeah, you know, it's, you know, we, we say the Lord is, you know, the Lord is the, the, the what you, you said, like the, the, you know, Jesus is the Lord of my life, you know, but if you look at what scripture says, he is the Lord of all <laughs> and every knee shall bow, you know, every tongue shall confess. And so when I read Piper's book, that really helped me just to understand that our motivation is God's greatness, his glory, and the, let the nations be glad, meaning we, we are to be his representatives, his ambassadors to show people that rather than trying to persuade them, you know, and take them through the Romans road or whatever. Not that that's bad stuff, obviously, but it really helped. It, it really makes you feel like, well, it's really not up to me. You know, <laughs> like you said, I can't do anything just to be faithful and see what scripture says about God and present that. So it was good. Yeah. I, uh, I was just thinking you were talking about like, uh, everybody worshiping him and wanting to do that. And, um, we see we see people all over the world, you know, worshiping 
Uh, like when this team goes over to Israel, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to go to the Wailing Wall or whatever, and there's going to be people there mm-hmm. at the wall, yeah, praying. And uh, but it's a it's an absent worship. It's a it's a worship to to nothing is what's happening there. And same with Paul, like you had talked about in Acts, right? He looked and there's all kinds of gods all over the place, but there's this unknown God, and he's like, this is actually the only God you guys should be worshiping. Mm-hmm. and talking about and <clears throat> i think today uh, especially in the culture we live in today it's seen as a bad thing to go into a culture to change their culture it's seen as imperialism mm-hmm. or something like that and i think it can unless you have the right culture yeah right anyway, but i'm just saying i think <laughs> that, no that's i think what, it can lead to that though is what i'm saying i think i think that can become the mentality of people is like an imperialism mm-hmm. But I would like to think of how it started for as Christians, the reason we were going all over this place. I would like to think it wasn't for gold and for silver, but it was you, you're finding new lands and you're finding these people worshiping and you're saying, you, you want to tell them there actually is a God to worship. What you're worshiping isn't God. Uh-huh. And I want to tell you about him. Mm-hmm. I want you to know because you obviously care about your afterlife. You care about your people enough to be praying to this uh, statue right now. Mm. Let me tell you about the living God who created you, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's interesting because that's exactly what Paul says to the Athenians. Yeah. He says, I can see that you're very religious, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. but mm-hmm. you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, right. right yeah. You know? And so we need to make sure, I think as Christians, we keep that same attitude though. And, and like I said, even though people are going to come at us and say, oh, you're just doing this for this reason and that, I think we can check ourselves to make sure we're not, and that's smart to do. Is like, are we? No, no, no. I'm doing it because I have compassion for them, mm-hmm. and I want to see the Lord worshipped, not that thing that was created, mm-hmm. right? Or, or you can go to other faiths, like the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith. Yeah. You know, you can get frustrated with them, or you could, right? You could see it as a sad situation, and that we have the answer for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a very important point because our religion is very different from Islam. Islam would make similar statements. Allah is worthy of your worship. And if you don't worship him, uh, that's a sin. You you must worship him because there's no other God. And so the essence of Islam is submission. Submission. And it's interesting, though, that um, our core identity, we are servants of God, but we're servants who are sons and daughters. And the, this greatness, the, whenever he says, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, it makes me think about Isaiah. Whenever Isaiah says, basically, the idols can't save you. I am the only Savior who can save you. And ultimately, this also, you know, it's like, um, it reminds me of John when Jesus, when he says, in him was life. The Lord made the heavens. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And whenever he comes and lays down his life for us, that's really when the split. I mean, those are things that I can't describe with the human language, but as Jesus Christ is uplifted, the splendor and majesty are seen for what it is, um, as, he is as he is exalted and raised up. So <clears throat> I think that's a very important thing to be reminded. There, the difference, because um, we don't want to go to the world and say, worship God because he's worthy of it only because then that makes us almost just sound like Muslims because that's what they do. We're not on a jihad. We're on a message from Christ with compassion for the world, Mm -hmm. right? To say, look, the things you're trusting in cannot save you. The Lord who loves you and made you and has taken care of you also sent his son. He gave him up for us all Mm -hmm. so that everybody, and he loves you. Mm -hmm. It's not simply that he says, submit to me. It's that he says, I love you. And so we become, just as Jesus is the son who is the servant, we likewise get to be adopted as sons and daughters of God who are also servants of God now. And I think that's just an important component because also even this psalm, whenever you you quoted the the Chronicles passage, uh, it's being sung in a context of grace. Because before, like you pointed out in the sermon, Yuzah just died. Yeah, God's wrath was just seen. Mm-hmm. So they're slaughtering animals. We know very often along the way, just bringing yeah. this. So this is a song that is sung in blood. Yeah, with blood and bleeding animals. I just think that's the I, blood is is important to bring out around yeah. the whole glory aspect. Yeah, I think the the difference between what you're talking about with Islam and Christianity and the the call to worship God because He's worthy of your worship is that 
you don't have to force someone to submit to God. Right. They gladly do it. Sure. And that gets yep. down into why would it be mm-hmm. good news that there is a, a king on the throne over you as a judge, you know, reigning in righteousness? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it is a great thing to be under the rule and the reign of a good king. Well, and also, everybody wants that. Also, as he is our judge, the difference is, is he justifies the ungodly. Mm-hmm. See, uh, this is the difference, too, between Christianity. Islam has no concept for God justifying the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Judy, unbelieving Judaism has no concept for God justifying the ungodly. Mm-hmm. But our judge, and this is the, this is the scandal of, of Protestantism, the scandal of being a Baptist that believes in justification by faith alone. This is why Roman Catholics disagree with us. We believe God justifies not the righteous, not the good people, not the people who follow the rules, not the people who submit. <clears throat> he justifies the ungodly, mm-hmm. sinners because of the cross of Christ. Yeah. And that's what we take to the world because the judge then justifies us and then gets down from his seat and comes over and welcomes us as his children. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a message to take to the world. And also, I love the fact that you pointed out, you said, tell of his salvation, declare his glory, his marvelous works. The singing, the first time, I don't know if it's the first time we ever have the word singing, but the singing that is really pronounced in Exodus comes as a result of a victory accomplished, mission accomplished. God destroyed our enemies. Sing to the Lord. He's thrown the horse and his rider into the sea. Similarly, we sing a new song because look what he just did for us. And that's what we get to go to the world. We don't get to go to the world and say, if you do your part, God will do his part. We say, look what he did. Mm-hmm. For all of us, yeah. trust it. I mean, that's a wonderful message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, and as we do this evangelism and missions, it's not like you guys said. It's not a jihad. It's not a gun to your head. Take this. It's, right. No, that's not even what we're asked to do. You know, it's it's tell them, tell them about it. You guys continue to worship and praise. You do what you're called to do, and and they have a decision, right? They they have a decision to make, and uh, some will say no, and some will say yes, God will open their right. eyes to that truth, right? Um, and so it takes a lot off of us in that also, mm-hmm. is that I'm just right. I'm just told to tell. And we're not all called to be Paul. I don't think any of us, anybody's called to be Paul. He had a special thing there. But, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we, we let people know. And mm-hmm. we might let them know more than once. Yeah. It might be many times. Uh, but we trust that God will do that. And, and how does it happen? It just seems so often in Scripture mm-hmm. that missions and evangelism happens so often like this like we're singing this new song we're praising god for how good he is and that's what god is using to draw people in it's not even uh, always like this intellectual dialogue that convinces somebody you know we don't see a ton convinced with paul right at mars hill some wanted to know more Mm -hmm. and it says that some believed but a lot of them a lot of them made fun of a lot of them made fun of them and laughed at them but Paul kept going, and then when they throw him in jail, what did he do? He kept singing. He kept praising God, and God would then use that for the the person who had him in jail. Right. right? It, right. it wasn't. It, I think sometimes we make it to be a bigger task than it right. is, and it's you keep singing, keep praising God, keep worshiping right. Him, keep knowing who He is, keep living in light of that, keep giving Him the glory He's due, right. and that will be Just, missions. I think that's a that's an important point, and that's. When you think about like okay, if there's a if there's a problem that you have to solve, like in your home or whatever it could be, whether it's relationally or like even with something more uh, mechanical that's broken, what's the underlying problem? I'm, you know, I'm not what's smart. what's the foundational <laughs> issue? That's really mm-hmm. what you got to get mm-hmm. to. You can't can't treat the symptom mm-hmm. of right, the problem, yeah. and yeah. I think that's what a lot of people do when it comes to encouraging people to be involved like to share the gospel with their friends and their family or their neighbors um we focus on a lot of symptomatic issues of it not happening when the really the foundational issue is when you love god and when he is glorious to you and when he's wonderful and when you are filled with like what you prayed for spencer gratitude for what he's done for you it's not a chore to talk about him with people sure it's not a it's not a it's not worrisome to bring him up to to people around you in your life it's it doesn't seem like an awkward thing to talk about him i mean it, there'll be some awkwardness sometimes but it's it's it what i mean is it's natural it feels natural to you to talk about the things that you love 
and th- that's more so like in this in this sermon and this idea but the connection between it that's really the connection is mm-hmm. worshiping god as he should be worshiped in your own life will lead you to do these things mm-hmm. it will it will happen it won't happen the same way for everybody like you said not everybody's paul but it will happen yeah. it's the natural result yeah and i've and i've seen that i it it i think i've rarely had just an excited passionate christian on fire for the lord very rarely i've had somebody like that be like i don't know how to tell someone about jesus that's usually not those people they're just doing it they you know they're not looking for a strategy it just it just comes out of them in conversations like Mm -hmm. you said scott Uh, more often than not it's people uh, who seem to be a little more timid and and shy uh, who want to know certain ways to do it and and they're worried that they're going to have to have some big explanation or something and you try to show them stuff like this, but yeah, the big the big problem in church people is a passionless mm-hmm. faith, and they're searching for it. They, I think, a lot of people know that, and they're searching for it, and so they search for it. Sadly, in a lot of wrong places, they they try to find like good Christian movies that are going to get them excited or good Christian music that's going to get them excited or some pastor that they listen to online that gets them revved up and excited. And it's like, yeah, those are going to get you excited maybe for a little bit, but it's going to fade. Mm -hmm. What it is is the Lord needs to be the one who excites you Mm -hmm. through his word and through his truths and through an understanding of, of who he is, right? More and more and more. And that's why it's so important for us as believers to be in the word of God daily, because we are quick to forget. We're quick to go away, right? And so we need to be in his word daily being reminded of how good he is. And as we do that, then I think the natural outflowing is speaking of him. Like in our homes with our kids, it just becomes natural. It's like, I don't know how to bring up God to my kids. It's like, do you read the word? You know, like, are you in church regularly? Do you love him? Like, do you talk to your kids about their mother? Who's your wife? Probably you love her. You, you spend time with her often. It just happens. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make it up. It just happens. Uh, it's the same here, yeah. right? Um, and it's hard because uh, in saying this, I know I said, I'm not putting, I feel that in myself too, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, I just don't feel I have the passion as a Christian as I should. I'm not as excited. And I can never look to God and be like, what's your problem? And for me often too, I, I don't, I don't look to you guys and say, you guys aren't doing enough for me to get me excited. I can't look at my wife and say that. Here's a cup of coffee, Tim. You know, it's it's always, there's a problem with me, (coughs) and my sin is getting in the way, or my laziness, you know, or whatever. I think, think too, one of the big dip problems we've got today is we've we've told Christians, and I think this is with, I'm talking about Christians, they think the gospel is for them when they get saved. And then when they get into church, it's about getting busy. Yeah. About getting busy for Jesus. That's true. The problem is, is you live your life for a few months as a Christian, you're going to realize I'm a lot worse than I thought I was before. And you're going to live your life for 10 years as a Christian, and you're still going to see yourself messing up with your kids, messing up with your wife, messing up at your job, messing up with your church family. And the problem is, is in churches, we have forgotten to tell people in the church the gospel is still the same message for them, of forgiveness, of reconciliation. That's why we do the confession of sin thing every week. If you, And I think if, if, I'll be honest, if people push back against that, and I know some people are uncomfortable with that, and I understand why they are, but on the other hand, I have to ask the question, do you not think you have any sins to confess this week? Because the reality is, is deep down in our hearts, we all realize we're that way. And when you sit with yourself for a little bit and you know who you really are and how, how, uh, how, how undeserving we are, mm-hmm. well, then it, it's, we don't want to put the mask back on to just get busy for Jesus again. I think if we really, this is why we try as a staff to, to really just saturate the sermons and the, and the service in the blood of Christ for us. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes Christians are insecure themselves because they want to share the gospel, but they're not even confident it's really for them still. Or they may think they're going to heaven, but God's still angry with me. 
Yep. Or they are sinning, but they don't want to come back to God because they've thought repentance is something that they have to muster up out of some emotional thing. And they've not been told, you just need to come back because God is the loving father of the prodigal. Mm. And I'm not saying that covers every single person in the pew. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if we take the gospel and say it's only for the people who just come into the church building, and after that, it's all law. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is you're going to get burnt out on it, and then you're not going to want to share that message that much because you're exhausted. Yep. Because you're not coming to church to find rest in Christ. You're coming to church and just hoping to get injected with a new zip of something to help you to get going. When the reality is, is we come to church to lay our burdens at Jesus' feet because he's there with his body and his blood ministering to us again and loving us and forgiving us and changing us slowly but surely. And then the burden, I'm not saying that's going to solve everything with evangelism, but I know for myself, I'm a person who struggles with confidence in the gospel, even myself and my own personal life. And I can imagine there's people in our pews today, in our church, that still wonder, yeah, but does Jesus really love me? And have I believed enough? Have I repented enough? Have I done enough good things? And if they could saturate in that for a little bit, I think in some ways we still would want to give the command to say, now go share that. But oftentimes that'll take care of itself because it's the gospel does wonders for me still. Yeah, that's what we're saying. It still does it for me now. Therefore, I can share this same message with, it's not as if, well, if you could get to where I am today, it's, this is the same thing I'm resting on. Here's Christ too. Take him. Yeah. Let me do a... uh... Is it okay if I do a sports analogy? Sure. I guess. <laughs> I'll get it. <laughs> Not really. Depends on the sport. Yeah. yeah. Depends on, is it go. curling? It could be any sport. Uh, Spencer, you said something about like the gospels for the new people. Yeah. But then busyness yeah. is for the people in the church, which then turns into law. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this because I feel like, I, I feel like in the past at our church, that has been the case. And new believers would come in and they were instantly hit with all these programs to be a part of. And it was like a go and a run and a sprint. And what happened is people were always getting burnt out because I don't think they understood why the go, the run, the sprint, they didn't have the base to keep them going of the gospels needed every day. And this is who Christ is. And this is the beauty of him. And this is the splendor and the majesty of him. And let's rest in that. It, it became kind of programmatic of this is how we're going to reach the nations. This is how we're going to reach your neighbor. This is what we're going to do. And it got to me a little muddled. And I see this though in other, in other areas. Uh, Yesterday we had to go to a basketball game in Tecumseh for one of my children who then got smacked by 50 points. And I was very frustrated that we ever signed up to go to this place because I knew that this basketball league was actually a legitimate basketball league with real teams. And I'm not saying that to dismiss my kid's team. The the team that my kid is on is like an intramural team of, of the kids at his school. It's not the school team. It's any kids who want to play basketball, they split them all up and try to make it even. And so you don't have like the best kids on one team. That's what we were playing at this other place. Well, the reason we went here is because parents were starting to complain. They wanted their kids to do more and let's go. (laughs) And it's like this mindset of here's the game of basketball. Here it is. It's kind of like the gospel of basketball. Here it is. Okay, now now go and play. And it's like Mm -hmm. they can't learn this way. Mm -hmm. They really need to slow down. You know, you have parents trying to coach who have never coached, but they need to fill a spot. And now these other teams are running plays and doing all this stuff. And then poor kids were just out there. A like, couple of the players drove in. They have licenses, <laughs> yeah, right? Have, yeah, might have, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just those poor kids. But here's what happened. Here's what happened when we got home. Mm. My kid's like, I don't want to go back. That's not fun. Mm. Mm. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it wasn't about the love of playing some sport that, was, that wasn't like given to them. It was about the busyness of the sport and the insides and outs of which these kids had no idea about. Mm. And so then they just got embarrassed and it was just frustrating. Mm -hmm. And that happens, I think, of what you're saying is you come in and you hear this gospel message and you're like, yes, I want Jesus. And all of a sudden it's all this busyness. And then you find out real quick, I'm a wreck. (laughs) I thought that. And and wait, and wait, other people in this church are sinners still too. Yeah. And all of a sudden (laughs) they leave, right? Because they're like, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm out. 
And that's what that's what my kid is thinking. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to do a crossover step back three and make them all. And now when I go to shoot, the ball's hitting me in the head because the guy smashed it in my face. <laughs> What's happening here? You know, and it's like try. And so it is a church thing, but I think it's a, a cultural thing as well. It's like like yep. in a sport, you need to learn these basics first. Like maybe mm-hmm. it'd be better to let's do these practices first. And not jump right in here, mm-hmm. right? Maybe we should just play each other. But what the parents see is, but these other schools are doing this, and we need to go do this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but we're not there. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hold up, right? Uh, there's other ways. There's other mm-hmm. things to do. Yeah. Um, and we just have to be careful with that in church. And I feel like oftentimes as pastors, maybe, I don't know if you guys feel this way, I feel like my job is not pushing the go pedal and trying to get people on and be like, let's go. I feel like more often my job is pulling the reins back like, whoa, we've got to slow down Mm. because we're not prepared for this or this isn't really the direction we're supposed to be going. Right. This isn't who we are. Right. This isn't what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So like to go back to the sports thing, this is an intramural team. This isn't an all-star team. We don't go join an all-star league. We are an intramural league and just be happy with that. Right. If we want to have an all-star team, then we need to do that right. Find the all-stars and send them. Uh, but that's not what we are. So let's not try to be that. Mm-hmm. You know, as the church, it's the same thing. Who are we? We are the ones who give God glory. We're, we are to worship him. And we're supposed to tell people about mm-hmm. this good God. That's that's who we are. That's what we do. We don't we don't have any other commands on mm-hmm. us. That, yeah. that is who we are. Right. And when we start stepping out, we just look foolish. And in fact, in the end, we hurt people mm-hmm. more than we're actually helping people. And we have to be... Be careful with that, even as we do missions, you know, of going and doing missions in places and starting to tell them, this is what church is. You better know what the church is then. Mm-hmm. Don't t- Or this is what worship is, to give that example. If you guys want to be a real church, this is what worship is. You better define worship right for them, mm-hmm. biblically, or you're just going to mess them up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to lead them in a path where that church will probably close soon because mm-hmm. they're going to be failures because they can't do it like you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I just thought about that as you mm-hmm. were talking about that busyness mm-hmm. that comes into play. We got to be mm-hmm. careful with that. Yep. Anyway, Scott. All right. Okay. Uh, the last, so that was basically the first repetition of the psalm. And I said it, it repeats itself, basically, the structure of it. Basically, the last half of the psalm, is, as I understood it and, and preached it, was what are what exactly are we trying to get people to do? Uh, as we're proclaiming the message of of the Lord's salvation and His His glorious works, what we're trying to get them to do is simply recognize something that's already true, mm-hmm. right? It's something that's already there, something that's already true. Um, and I, I pointed out, I didn't go into super in depth with this and, and explain it mainly because of time, but um, my my version and the English Standard Version verses seven and eight use the word ascribe. Mm-hmm. And I know some versions use the word give, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But sometimes we get a misunderstood view that God gets glory from us. We've talked about this before on the podcast, I think. But God gets glory from us. He doesn't have it until we give it to him. And that's not true. Right? Um, God is just as glorious if nobody's worship, worshiping him or if everyone is mm-hmm. worshiping him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word ascribe is, is to mainly recognize something that somebody already has. And that's why I had us read from Isaiah chapter 6. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is because the seraphim that are there flying before the Lord, covering their face, covering their feet, crying out, holy, 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 they're not in some sense giving God holiness. Mm-hmm. They're merely they're recognizing, recognizing that yeah. it's there, and they're yeah. praising him for that. Mm-hmm. You know, praising the Lord in the splendor of, of his holiness. Yeah. And I just wanted uh, to really hit that home that mm-hmm. that's really what we're trying to get people to do. That's what Paul was trying to do in Acts 17 is stop recognizing these idols. They're not real. Mm-hmm. They're not true. They're mm-hmm. worthless. Begin recognizing the one true God. You've already got an altar to him. Yeah. Just you need to name him. You need to know yeah. who he is, and right. then begin worshiping him, him rightly, uh, in that sense. But and and that's that's actually the message that's proclaimed in verse ten. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He doesn't he doesn't say go to the nations and put the Lord on the throne. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the <laughs> proclamation. There is a king on the throne. Right. He reigns. He is reigning. 
And uh, this is the news that you need to hear. You need to hear that there is a king on the throne. He's established his kingdom. It will never be moved. Um, the only thing that will be moved is you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and so that's that's the main idea there is getting them to recognize and to see something that is already true um, and 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 come into submission through that. But we, we've already talked extensively about how that's, that's not, we're not beating people into that submission. People will gladly fall under that reign and rule because they see that this is not just a God who created them. It's a God who sent his son to die for them mm-hmm. and loves them, yeah. has no desire for them to perish. Um, and so, and so that's, that's really the, the push there is, is to see people recognize something that is already true. Um, and then the, the last bit, verses 11 through 13, um, is uh, what I really tried focusing on, and we've talked about God is the judge. He's really judged Christ for all of our sins. But this, this, these verses talk about the coming judge bringing rejoicing and gladness, and that just seems so strange to us to think about that. Uh, but I, I tried using... First uh, Kings ten and the Queen of Sheba coming to give an example of why would it be a good thing to have a righteous king, uh, especially us as Americans. We don't like the idea of people being an authority over us and something that would cause rejoicing. But you know what the what the Queen of Sheba found out was, you know Solomon at that time was a good ruler. He was wise, and uh, when you're under the rule and the reign of someone who is righteous, who does execute justice. Yeah as they should, um, whose judgments are right um, and, and, and good, then it is a pleasure mm-hmm. to be ruled by that person. Yeah. I think, too, I think that uh, that's a really good point because I think uh, you see this. Whenever this first was written, right, they were looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And we know the Lord doesn't come once but twice, mm-hmm. two major times. Yeah. And the, the, that one coming they were probably looking forward to actually was split up into a first and second coming. And... Um, and when he comes, you're right, Scott, he comes to uh, set everything the way it should be. But also, when the Lord is judge of all the earth, he, he as judge, he also exercises power to redeem uh, his people. And so in both instances, uh, for his people, uh, his coming to, to the world in the first and second is uh, for their salvation, whereas for those who refuse to kiss the sun, mm-hmm. um, um, it is it is wrath. Yeah. Um, so it, and in both instances, it's for God's people. It's setting. It's also removing the accuser. Mm. It's the it's the destruction, final destruction of Satan and all of their enemies. Um, but it's also the the salvation and the renewal of the whole earth. Yeah. Yeah. So I just tried pointing out how many issues exist in our life now by unjust rulers or those who are in authority that misuse or abuse that authority. And that's why we look forward to that second coming because everything will be set right, right? You know, and even at times we are the ones who are in the authority that mis- misuse it or don't fulfill right what we are to do, and um, even all those things will be set right mm. uh, because they're the king will he's already on the throne, but he'll be mm. everything will be under his feet, yeah, in that sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm that's pretty much it. Does that include uh, college football programs who might be under investigation for Ooh. NCAA inv- allegations? What does what include? Probably all uh, of the them setting to be, be set right. right. Yeah. I, I didn't know Tim it should be set right yeah. as a yeah. Michigan fan of what you would think about that. I hope it gets set right. I know. I mean, y'all didn't talk about how Michigan lost this past weekend. To Michigan right? State in basketball. Yeah, why oh, don't we talk basketball. about that? No. Their basketball team stinks this year. Okay, so it's but, not worthy but, of talking about. But, but you know, Tim doesn't we want don't to talk want to ascribe. about. Can't be led by a. Center. What Tim doesn't want to talk about is the fact that Michigan football is now under investigation. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I never saw why though. I don't know either. I, I just saw, saw it on the bottom kind of, line. I, I guarantee was... you, every college team should probably be under investigation. Yeah. What? Yeah. I guarantee you. Yeah, they should shut them all down. Shut them all down. Past two years, he seems to be itching to get out. Maybe he knew something was coming. You know, it's funny by the way. Just as a closing college football comment, but I was listening to some. Uh, thing uh, out of a church in like Birmingham but they were saying he was talking about how he was watching the basketball game when Alabama was playing and he said when they were there they didn't even really talk about the basketball game because so coach Saban was in the stands and it's like just watching the king there (laughs) yeah right (laughs) because he shows up it's not their basketball team is really good but it's just because Saban's they beat Kentucky by like 30 (laughs) just because Saban's there it's like 
that's all that matters. The king is here. Mm-hmm. So presence, his presence, right? Yeah. His presence. He's on his throne. <laughs> He's on his throne in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. It's what some people worship. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Well, all right. Those idolaters in Alabama. Yeah. Well, we went long today. Sorry about that, but that's okay. Hopefully it was helpful to anybody. Uh, we'll probably start a series this coming Sunday in first and second Timothy. Uh, be doing that for a little bit. Uh, so looking forward, looking forward to that. And we'll also be starting a podcast on the question kind of like, what is the church, right? I mean, I don't know if you want to explain that better, but what? Yeah, we're going to go through a kind of just what we as Baptists think about the just, church, just the church, functions. what it is, yeah, yeah. Uh, some really broad, basic yep. Baptist understandings of the church. Kind of will go in line with some of what we'll see in Timothy, mm-hmm. though. Uh, yeah. But looking forward to that. So hopefully we'll see you this coming Sunday. Uh, but until then, hope you have a blessed week. God bless.